You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everybody and welcome to the health hub my name is kathy biase i am your host and alex diaz our producer is in the room beside me good morning alex how are you great thank you thank you so much i'm well you're well did you have a good week yes i did it was um not as crazy as the last week i was able to get ahead of certain things so um i took it relatively easy this week that's good it's good. I know the beginning of the year is, is uh, always so busy, and with the new stuff that's going on here at the radio station, you've always got something that you're you're teeing up a project yeah, to do. Yeah, we're always working on something. Yep, yep. So it, it's nice when you have some of those down weeks. Kind of helps you to regroup and get the energy back. Refocus for sure. Exactly. Refocus. Our show is live today. You can call in at four one six two four five fifteen thirty four. You can follow us um, on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC on Twitter and on. Facebook. Facebook at the same at the Health Hub RMC. We're trying to make it really easy for you. And if you'd like to get in contact with us after the show, if you have show ideas or certain guests you'd like to have on, you can email us directly at the Health Hub or THH at RadioMaria.ca. We also, I'm not even sure if I've mentioned this before, Alex, but Alex puts all of our shows um, up as a podcast for us. So we are on iTunes and we are on SoundCloud. You can search us out the Health Hub, and all, every show that we've done is up so far, and will continue to be up. And we're we're getting a lot of traction through through that medium as well. So never fear if you've missed it, missed an episode, or if you have not had some information sit in your head. Well, you can always. Uh, download these episodes, subscribe to the SoundCloud and iTunes podcast, and they'll be delivered straight to you. And you don't have to make, make good work of searching us out every week. But we've got some we've had some really amazing, amazing guests. When I go back, Alex, over all the shows, I continually, you know, upload them as well um, to the iTunes and SoundCloud. And we do promote them on our social media sites as well. But looking back over our guests, it's just been extraordinary for the the length of time we've been doing this. We've really had some wonderful information from fantastic guests. Yes. um, Over the over the weeks, this is actually maybe our 45th produced program and when you think about it it's quite quite amazing. It really is. It, it really is. And the and guests people, that we've had have been extraordinary. They have. You know, international guests, guests that have so many valuable things to teach us. So so do take advantage, re-listen and listen over again. Today's show, you will get a lot of information as well in it. Uh, you know, we're talking about the thyroid today and autoimmune disease. So this is something that's very relevant to our time. And we will get into that in a little bit with our guest, Ryan. But I wanted to have a quick chat with you about 
probiotic foods, probiotics in general. Just uh, some of us may not know what probiotics are, or you may know them just as supplements or something that you see on uh, the side of a a yogurt uh, container. But probiotics are good bacteria. We have, uh, it's called our microbiome, and we have good bacteria. We have viruses, yeast, a whole bunch of things that are going on inside us. But probiotics are strains of good bacteria that help our system and help our residential bacteria do amazing things in our body, like create vitamins. Um, They help with detoxification, so many, many things. And as research continues, we're just finding more and more things that our microbiome does for us. And we are finding more connections between a healthy microbiome and a healthy person and, and conversely between an unhealthy microbiome and some diseases. So it's just an ever evolving field. Thousands of studies are coming out in so many different spheres of health. So it's something that I, you know, do my best to keep on top of and practice. It's something that I attune to very closely. And anyone who listens to the show knows that gut health is central to, to what I do. And, what I wanted to do was we, we hear a lot about supplements and so forth, and probiotic supplements are amazing in there. They are um, something that I recommend all the time. But we have food sources of probiotics, and they're called fermented foods. We're not as used to them as, say, other cultures in the world because they're 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 a little bit different tasting. The idea of fermenting foods is for preservation. But when foods are fermented, they've gone through a process called lactofermentation in which natural bacteria feed on the sugar and starch in the food and they create a lactic acid. And this is what helps to preserve the food, but it also creates beneficial enzymes, vitamins, fatty acids, and various other strains of probiotics. So fermentation of foods is is so beneficial in so many respects, but it's not something that we have been too familiar with so far in the Western world. So when you don't want to take a pill or you just want to incorporate something nice and healthy into your diet, there are a number of foods that are fermented that you can start incorporating into your diet. I recommend at least two to three times a week. And when you eat these fermented foods, they also help you digest other foods. So fermented foods, if you can kind of imagine, it's been sort of pre-digested for you. The bacteria have sort of chewed through the food and it's easier when you are eating to digest fermented foods. And it's also easier for you to digest other foods that you're eating with their fermented foods. So I just wanted to give you a list of some commonly found fermented foods. And they're becoming more and more popular mainstream because people are understanding A, the microbiome and its importance, and B, the importance of adding these types of foods into your diets as opposed to supplements. Always adding foods is is a beneficial thing to do. You know, it adds into our lifestyle. But you can ferment vegetables. There is something called beet kvass, which is a drink. Sauerkraut is a fermented food if it is not heated. So you want to get things that are not heated. Once you heat these uh, bacteria, you do you do erase the benefits of them. So unpasteurized sauerkraut, kefir, which is a fermented milk, one of my favorites, yogurt, kimchi, tempeh, which is a fermented soy, kombucha, which is a fermented tea, miso, and unpasteurized apple cider vinegar. And you'll know when it's unpasteurized, the apple cider vinegar, you'll see things floating around. So that's not a bad thing. That's, that's a good thing. 
So just a little, you know, just teeing you up a little bit and getting the idea of probiotics into your mind, something very beneficial to your diet. So on to today's show, we are talking thyroid, we are talking autoimmune, and our guest is Ryan Monahan. And Ryan is a functional diagnostic practitioner, certified autoimmune protocol coach, and he's a touring musician. He has a passion for hidden stressors that contribute to thyroid malfunction. Ryan himself spent 10 years visiting more than 40 health professionals to find answers to his chronic health complaints until he himself was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease in 2012. And we will talk about that as well. His mission today is to change the dialogue about chronic disease towards a holistic, functional approach. And that's why I started with the foods, with the functional foods, because they all work together. They all play together. So after our break, we will be back with Ryan Monahan, and we'll be talking thyroid. In this time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe We believe in God the Father We believe in Jesus Christ We believe in the Holy Spirit And He's given us new life We believe in the crucifixion We believe that He conquered death We believe in the resurrection And He's coming back again We believe so let our faith be more than anthems Greater than the songs we sing And in our weakness and temptations We believe Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion.
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned earlier, we are live. If you'd like to call in to speak with Ryan or myself or Alex, 416 245 1534. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Health Hub RMC. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for taking the time to be with us. We always appreciate it when uh, guests can spend an hour with us and really help our listeners to to find out more things about their health. So greatly, greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you. I think Ryan, I think the best thing that to do before we get into your personal story because it's it is, you know, it resolve, revolves around autoimmunity and the thyroid is maybe you can explain to us the functions, you know, you don't have to dive really deeply, but the main functions of the thyroid so that we can sort of get a picture of where things went awry for you. Absolutely. So the thyroid can be thought of as one of the master control centers for our hormones in our body, particularly for helping us to produce energy. And that's why you often see chronic fatigue as one of the sort of main symptoms of having hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Those hormones that our thyroid produce ultimately work with ATP in our cells to produce energy, and it also the thyroid helps us to regulate our body's temperature. So some people refer to the thyroid as sort of the body's thermostat. So we often see another leading symptom of Hashimoto's as being cold intolerance, right? So if you're somebody who's out in 80 or 90 degree weather and still feel the need to wear a sweater, that might be a clue indicating that you've got a, a thyroid issue. Um, and and it, it is responsible for so much more than that. It's really our body's overall metabolism. So some might think of thyroid dysfunction as being sort of the canary in the coal mine, right? The, the thyroid slows the body down in an attempt to help our body heal and, and recover, so it, it's in that sense, we can see it actually as an adaptive mechanism. Our body is trying to protect us by slowing the body down and say, hey, there's something going wrong here, whether it's an infection in the body or it's heavy metals in the system or it's some kind of emotional trauma that's uh, interfering with our body's capacity to, to perform at its best. So it's, it's, it's these symptoms you're saying is sort of a reactionary to something that's going else going on within the body that's not correct. Right. So from the functional perspective, we don't necessarily see the thyroid as the problem itself. We see it as maybe a symptom of underlying issues. So, of course, we need to address the thyroid when appropriate and use the best of what traditional medicine has to offer with thyroid hormone replacement. But meanwhile, we really want to get to the root or underlying causes that are causing that the alarm bells to go off, so to speak. Okay, and where's your thyroid located? 
it's actually going to be sort of at the bottom of your throat, right below the Adam's apple. Can we can we feel that, or apple. is there a way that we can can we sense that? Yeah. Or is so it... if you kind of trace right below the you know the the Adam's apple, it's a little easier to find that spot on males, yeah. obviously. But there's going to be sort of a lump um, in the throat, right right down the bottom, right in front there. Okay. And it kind of wraps around the throat. It's like a butterfly-shaped organ. Okay. I can't feel it myself, but I know the doctors can, but I know I can't. I've never been able to do that. <clears throat> so then, so suboptimal functioning of the thyroid is uh, the symptoms that, that can come of that. You're saying so being cold, overweight, is that another one? Not able to lose weight? Absolutely. So uh, weight gain, trouble losing weight can be another sign that the thyroid is slowing down. Uh, depression would be another mm-hmm. red flag for hypothyroidism. And again, you know, these all have, these are all related to the body's metabolism slowing down. Right. Uh, constipation would be another symptom, right? So all of these things are, you know, so if we think of ourselves in a state of nature and we've encountered some kind of threat, some of the first things to sort of go out the window from a metabolic standpoint are going to be non-essential functions to survival, like digestion or our sex drive. Mm -hmm. So that's why we see these kind of symptoms of constipation and low libido as well with hypothyroidism, because, you know, those aren't what we would think as being critical to that light or fight response. And I guess things too, like um, the health of your nails, things that are sort of outwardly visible, your hair, eyebrows, those type of things too, would would all sort of slow down or or not be as optimal when the thyroid's under pressure. Interesting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So... When you, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I haven't come across too many people that, too many men that have outwardly spoken of a thyroid issue. So, and, and I, from my understanding, you were quite young when your symptoms started. Were were you not? I would say that my symptoms started in my college years. And I, I, I suspect that might even be when the autoimmune process started. So, you know, it may be a misconception that we wake up one morning and we have an autoimmune disease. In fact, it's a progression that's happening beneath the surface, sometimes for five to 10 years or even more before we're able to uncover this issue and find a diagnosis. Is In it, my own case... Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No. Sure. Uh, and so I started noticing these chronic symptoms uh, in my in my college days. I was having to set three alarms to wake up in the morning to just to wake me up. And still, sometimes I would sleep through all of them. And unfortunately, I, I brushed this off, this kind of like oversleeping and chronic fatigue as just, you know, I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm really putting my nose to the grindstone. And I just, you know, attributed it to how hard I was working, you know. And of course, like a lot of people, I was putting myself through college, working nights and weekends. And I just pushed through it, you know, that that was the kind of mindset I had, just push through it, push through it. But of course, those symptoms kept popping up and and accumulating and getting worse in severity. So by the time I hit my early to, to mid-20s, I was sometimes unable to get out of bed for the entire day. And that kind of spiraled downward into a depression. Um, sometimes I wasn't producing a bowel movement, you know, until every every 
three or four days, which of course was highly abnormal, uh, unexplained skin lesions, um, kind of puffiness in the face. Like I, I looked, you know, it's interesting. I look back at pictures of myself in my mid twenties and I feel like I look younger now than I did then. So you went on this path of going to doctors and undiagnosed. What were they telling you was the issue? Was it in your head? Well, of course, to, uh, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> so for, for every specialist I went to, you know, it was take this antibiotic, take this skin cream for your skin lesions. Um, you know, m- maybe you're depressed. Um, you just need to eat more fiber. You know, all these kind of piecemeal suggestions. I went to a, a rheumatologist, a dermatologist, a therapist, uh, a gastroenterologist, and even at one point was invited to be a test patient for a grand round at Yale New Haven Hospital. Hmm. And I had 40 budding medical professionals sort of assess my constellation of symptoms that day, and they, they couldn't come up with anything. Uh, there, was, there was really no... Uh, diagnosis or no suggestion. So there, there really wasn't much guidance um, aside from what one specialist versus another specialist would tell me. And I think that's in part due because Hashimoto's is often sort of thought of as a women's disease and men aren't really r- routinely checked for these sort of things. Why is um, that? Why, does- why do the men don't seem to have the thyroid issues that women do? Well, you know, we know statistically that men, for every seven women that are diagnosed with Hashimoto's, about one male will be diagnosed. So that's about 14%. As to why not as many men are diagnosed, you know, we still don't really know the, the answer to that question. Um, I, I recently, recently heard an interesting theory, though, from Isabella Wentz, who is one of my personal thyroid heroes. She wrote the book Hashimoto's Thyroiditis Lifestyle Interventions for Finding the Root Cause, which I I highly recommend to anyone who is either dealing with a thyroid issue or suspects they might be. And in her latest book, Hashimoto's Protocol, she suspects that for most cases uh, in women with autoimmunity, that it may be emotional trauma, that we live in a, a, a male dominated society. And uh, or even pregnancy itself can be thought of as, as a form of trauma to the body in a physiological sense. And because women may experience these emotional traumas, it might cause the thyroid to sort of shut down the body in an effort to heal. You know, it's an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. I certainly believe it has some credence and we'll, we'll certainly need to do some more research and, um, and gather more validity around that. It but, is uh, interesting. Well, who pulled everything together for you? Who finally diagnosed you? So in 2012, I came across a doctor that was licensed in both Western and Chinese medicine. So, you know, I, I took it upon myself to, to dig for a doctor that might be a little more open-minded. And I, I laid down my whole history. He, he really listened, which was important. You know, it wasn't just this kind of two-minute um, doctor visit where I was interrupted and just written a prescription. You know, he really uh, listened to what I had to say. And I, I virtually begged him to, to, to help me because I wasn't finding any answers. And he ran some blood work. And then a few days later, 
he gave me a call and said I had antibodies to my thyroid. And at the time, I didn't really know much about the thyroid or what the thyroid was. So it's, it's really funny because this, this path kind of found me. I never had um, set out to, to be a functional diagnostic practitioner or to be working with clients from all around the country and trying to help people get to the root cause of their problems. So, um, you know, a little more than six or seven years ago, I, I had no idea what the thyroid was. Now, now here I am, mm-hmm. you know, doing this radio interview. There's nothing like experience to, to help when you're talking with people. When you know the story, when you know how they're feeling, it, it, really, it really helps you to relate to people. So I can totally understand the path that you're on. Absolutely. So he, he, so we're going to, I don't have, we don't have a lot of time to get into this um, before the break, but let's, let's sort of talk about what an autoimmune disease is and what, what that meant, the antibodies that you had towards uh, your thyroid. Let's, let's try and get that covered before we have to go to our first break. Sure. So I'll, I'll try to be concise. An, an autoimmune disease is a condition where the immune system has gone awry and it's lost the ability to tell the difference between a pathogen or a toxin in the body and your body's own cells and tissue. So in essence, an autoimmune disease is a condition where your immune system is attacking the self. And in the case of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, that tissue happens to be the tissue of the thyroid gland. Okay, now the antibodies, what, what are they representing when you get a blood test and, and it showed in your case that they were positive for the antibodies against your own thyroid? So the antibody levels, if you're getting uh, some blood work done, those are going to, to indicate to what degree the immune system is attacking that gland or tissue. So we can use that as a measure of progress to an extent when we're doing certain diet and lifestyle interventions to see if our medication is working, to see if diet, uh, like the autoimmune protocol, for example, if those are working to your advantage to bring the antibodies down. Do we know what causes this? Like what would cause our bodies to, to work against us? So the overwhelming body of evidence suggests that the origin of autoimmunity is in the gut. So if we think of the gut lining as kind of like a second skin, it's there not just to help us digest and assimilate nutrients, but also to protect us from bacteria, parasites, viruses, uh, food allergies, things that we're breathing in and taking in in the environment. So what many people don't know is that the mucosal barrier of the gut lining is extremely delicate. It's only one cell thick. So while the gut should let things in and out selectively, what happens with autoimmunity is we, we end up with a situation where either food choices we're making or chronic stress or uh, refined sugars, alcohol, all these kind of things can cause the floodgates to open in the gut lining so they're sort of open permanently instead of selectively. Um, so what happens is we get things leaking across from the gut lumen to the other side of that gut barrier where our immune system resides. About 80% actually of our immune system is on the other side of that barrier. So when things start leaking across that don't belong there, the immune system becomes sort of ignited and we get an, an inflammatory immune fire and the immune system never gets the chance to calm down. 
It's on high alert 24-7 as it's trying to deal with these things passing through the gut barrier. And after a repeated and repeated offense to the immune system, it starts to become dysregulated and lose the, the ability to distinguish the toxins from our body's own tissue. So Hashimoto's is one of many, many autoimmune diseases. Colitis, you know, they're, they're, and the, the amount of immune diseases are, is rising exponentially. And is this because of our diet and our lifestyle? Is that what we're really pointing at here? Exactly. So while genes may determine what autoimmune disease you have a higher likelihood of, of obtaining in adulthood, we know that our diet and lifestyle can epigenetically turn those genes on and off. And when I say epigenetics, I'm referring to diet and lifestyle, as you suggested. So we used to think that genes were destiny, and that may determine our likelihood of gaining an autoimmune disease. But now we know that we can actually affect how those genes are expressed through diet and lifestyle. So if we can work to turn off that leaky gut and slow down that immune fire in the gut, then we can also reverse the autoimmunity and slow down that progress. So while there are over a hundred autoimmune diseases that we believe leaky gut contributes to, um, the same life diet and lifestyle factors can apply to helping someone resolve the symptoms of any autoimmune disease, whether it be Hashimoto's or, or rheumatoid arthritis. And having somebody that will take a good history for you, will sit and listen to you, because uh, you can't just you can't just spend five minutes and tell everybody you know fifteen years of your life and maybe see where stress has contributed or a bad diet has contributed. So it's very important to find someone that you can talk to about these things because that helps to suss out. I guess you know the backstory. Is that right? I completely agree. The last I heard, the average doctor visit was seven minutes and that a patient doesn't get to speak. I, I believe it was maybe one or two minutes that the patient gets to speak before being interrupted by the doctor. They actually did a study on this. So how can anyone on earth communicate their symptom history or, or medical history to a doctor uh, in that time allotted mm-hmm. um, before the, the visit's over or before they're interrupted? So yeah. Yeah. I believe... It's, it's so important. In, in You're right. With, yeah. And, and in working with a health coach or a, or a functional practitioner, you're getting the benefit of more like hours and hours of one-on-one time working to understand your unique story, your unique bio-individuality, how all the puzzle pieces fit together for you. And, you know, you're just not going to get that with, in the traditional medical model. And it's funny, sometimes when you talk, you know, if you're the patient and you're talking, just actually talking and, and verbalizing, it, it gives you your own clues as to what has happened. And, and you, you can kind of sort of go back and figure out maybe where things started to go awry. I think it's beneficial for the practitioner and it's very beneficial for the patient because you kind of have those aha moments. So when we get back from our from our break here, Ryan, what I'd like to do is really get into, dive deep into Hashimoto's disease, the autoimmune protocol, and, and what you do and give our listeners a really good sense of, of avenues that they can take if, if they too feel that maybe this is something that they should be looking at. So we'll be back in a few minutes.
You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. 
To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Ryan Monahan, and we're talking the thyroid. So, Ryan, let's get into what you do and how you differ or integrate um, allopathic medicine and your functional approach. So maybe you should start telling us what, you know, if you go to the doctor and you're getting some testing done, what are they testing for generally when they're talking thyroid? Right. So generally, if you go to uh, your average endocrinologist, they're going to run a test called a TSH test which is the thyroid stimulating hormone. Now, thyroid stimulating hormone, interestingly enough, is a hormone that's produced by our pituitary gland. So it's not actually a thyroid hormone. The role of TSH is actually to stimulate the thyroid. It's like the pituitary saying, hey, thyroid, produce more hormone. So typically we see the TSH and the thyroid hormones being T3 and T4, those are usually sort of uh, inverse of each other. So when the TSH goes high, it's usually because our thyroid hormone is low because, again, the, the pituitary is yelling at the, at the thyroid to produce more hormone. So conversely, if we see the TSH l- low, it's, it often indicates that our thyroid hormone is too high so we would usually see a, a high TSH with hypothyroidism and a lower TSH with hyperthyroidism. And just now, actually, can I just segue into here because it was a question that was just asked. Hyperthyroidism sure. is called Graves' disease, correct? Correct. And is that an autoimmune disease as well? Well, so, so just to make a distinction, hyperthyroidism would be an overactive thyroid and Graves would be the autoimmune component. Usually they're going to go hand in hand together. So in the case of Hashimoto's, uh, oftentimes people say they have hypothyroidism when in fact they, they have Hashimoto's and may not know it because they haven't received the proper testing. Uh, about 90% or more of hypothyroidism cases are ha- Hashimoto's. Okay. And I don't know the exact numbers with that on Graves, but I would it's around around the same, you know, 90% or higher. Um, so usually there is always an autoimmune component, and that would be detected through an, through an antibody test okay. uh, for the thyroid. Okay, perfect, because that's what someone was asking. Yeah. So there is a component to a hyperthyroidism of autoimmunity. Does the doctor typically test for these antibodies? That's a good question. So the answer is no, they usually don't. Um, most endocrinologists will only run a TSH test, which doesn't really give you the whole picture because as I said before, the TSH is a pituitary marker. So you really need, uh, the, the mark, the biomarkers for T3 and T4 as well, because that tells you how much hormone the thyroid is actually producing. So we can't go by that TSH alone. It's, It's inadequate by itself. So ideally... If, if your listeners want to take note of this, uh, a complete thyroid test should have a T- TSH, free T4, free T3, TPO antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies, and reverse T3. It should have th- those five markers would give you a really complete 
comprehensive view of the thyroid. And if your if your doctor refuses to run it, actually, my first endocrinologist went before I had all this knowledge of the thyroid. I had been learning about the proper testing, and I came to him and I said, "Can we run these tests?" And he said that that it would be a waste of my money. So I, I didn't go back to him. I, I found another more functionally educated and inclined uh, doctor that that really understood the thyroid, and uh, I, I was definitely much better off for it after I made the switch. And so reverse T3, if you could just explain to everybody what that is. Sure. So T3, I often think of is correlating with how much energy you have in the body. So usually with hypothyroidism and fatigue, we're going to see our free T3 levels be lower until we get them back into range with the right thyroid medication. Now, if T3 is like the accelerator pedal or, or our gas in the body, then I think of reverse, three, reverse T3 as like the brake pedal. So you could have an example where you have adequate amounts of free T3, but your reverse T3 is so high that it's like you're pushing on the brake pedal and the gas pedal at the same time. So that's another reason that stresses the importance of getting this complete comprehensive test because you really want to see this whole picture. Absolutely. And, and there could be a, a number of reasons why reverse T3 would be elevated. Um, it, it tends to raise when, when stress levels are higher with cortisol. Uh, but you know, that's another kind of rabbit yeah. hole. Exactly. And just before we dive into exactly what you do, the, the range for the TSH has just recently, I believe, broadened, which means that the treatable range has sort of narrowed, if, if that makes any sense. So when you're getting back your TSH, can you explain why that range of normal being broad may not be again, a clear picture of, of the TSH hormone. So it, it really starts with your definition of the word normal. Mm-hmm. So I, I often say that, uh, you know, symptoms themselves are common, but they're not normal, right? From the functional perspective, our body should be working and our bodies are intelligent. And, and symptoms are a sign from your body that something has gone wrong. So rather than suppressing those symptoms with medications and surgery, we want to look for the underlying cause with diet and lifestyle, do some functional lab testing, look for sources of hidden stress in the body. The, pro- the problem with conventional lab ranges is that they're often uh, based on large general populations of people that are generally not well. So I call these disease ranges. Not, they're not optimal ranges. They don't show you where you should be to be firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we look at functional lab ranges, they're much narrower. So on a lab test, you'll often see the, the range for your, your TSH between, be between somewhere between maybe 0.2 or 0.5 and going up to as high as uh, 5. So, you know, maybe 0.5 to 5. Whereas uh, from a functional perspective, we want to see that between 0.5 and 2. And the sweet spot is around a 1.0 is where we really want to see it. So that that range is a lot more narrow. So here's where this gets problematic. If your TSH is, say, let's say a 3.5, you're going to fall within that quote-unquote normal lab range 
and your doctor or endocrinologist is going to say, everything looks great. And, but meanwhile, you're saying, wait, but my hair is falling out. I'm gaining weight. I'm depressed. I'm constipated. I can't get out of bed in the morning. Like, so the doctor's just treating the lab number on the paper. But meanwhile, that doctor is ignoring the symptoms that you have. So, you know, they're not treating the patient in that case. They're treating the lab value. Right. Perfect. I'm glad you explained that. Okay. So enter you. You are a diagnostic person. You do diet. You do lifestyle. So if someone's coming to you, what would you do for them? So when I'm working with clients, uh, especially with those with an autoimmune disease, um, of course, I'm going to be working with them on a deep level to help them optimize their diet and lifestyle. But I take that a step further by using functional lab tests to identify hidden sources of stress in the body. And I call these hidden sources of stress because they're often overlooked by the conventional model. And these are going to be things like infections in the gut, uh, food sensitivities, hormone imbalances, heavy metals, and, and more. But, you know, those are going to be some of the common ones that uh, I'm going to look for. So again, going back to the beginning of the conversation, I mentioned that Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism is a signal. It's a symptom that there's something going wrong. There's an underlying issue in the body. So we can run, say, four or five tests to get a, a, a pretty comprehensive picture of what might be stressing out the body, What what's triggering that leaky gut, right? When we talked about autoimmunity being caused by intestinal permeability, we want to cause, we want to find what's triggering that. Okay. So in, in addition to sort of doing this health detective work, I'm also having my clients do the, the autoimmune protocol, which is sort of a, a, an elimination style diet that uh, mirrors the, the paleo diet. So a, a lot of people are familiar with the paleo diet. The autoimmune protocol takes that a step further and has that individual go through an elimination phase for 30 to 60 days, maybe longer if need be. And it's eliminating the foods that are most inflammatory to the system or have no real nutrient benefit. And these are often going to be foods that are irritating to the gut that can trigger that intestinal permeability. No, just so can I just stop you quickly food. there? Now, is are these sure. foods that you're eliminating the result of the the food sensitivity testing, or are they a standard group of foods that you're eliminating? So, food sensitivity testing the 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 verdict is still out as to how beneficial food sensitivity testing is. If we can have that extra data, that that that's great. But it's not really one of the first testing that I would look to. Uh, the, the gold standard for finding out what the optimal diet is for an individual is going to be to do an elimination diet. You know, nothing can tell you better than your own body uh, by, by eliminating these foods for a certain period and reintroducing them one at a time and doing careful symptom tracking. That, that can tell you much more effectively than a, than a uh, food sensitivity test what foods are going to help promote health in your system and what, what foods are going to contribute to uh, inflammation. So where do you start if you're putting someone on this protocol? So it really depends on where the, that person's at with um, 
their their willingness to sort of jump in cold turkey to the autoimmune protocol. We can also do a more gradual uh, kind of phasing certain foods out one at a time, you know, because it could be it could be overwhelming for some to cut out grains, soy, dairy, nightshades, nuts and seeds, uh, and and vegetable oils and things like that. That 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 can be overwhelming for some. So, you know, I, when I work with clients, I, I kind of see, you know, where they're at. Some people are, are ready to just jump right in. Some need a more gradual, careful approach. But in either case, we're getting to a point where we're eliminating these commonly problematic foods. And then, and, it, and it's not for life. So, you know, the autoimmune protocol, it, it's a, it is a protocol. It's not a diet. So a lot of people get stuck on that. They think that they're going to have to remove these foods for life. That's not necessarily true. They, they can reintroduce them one at a time. And sometimes even if a reintroduction is not successful, they might be able to try six months later, 12 months later, once their body has done some more healing and see if they're still reacting to that food. So you're wanting them to eliminate, and, obviously, the bad foods, like the processed foods and the sugars. But there are a lot of healthy foods that you're removing from the diet. So... Why is that? Like the nightshades, why would you be eliminating those types of foods that many people would think are very healthful and actually are probably part of, you know, their, their weekly diet? Sure. So there, there are some foods, there are foods that uh, from a, a, a nutrient standpoint that, that it's clear that they have a benefit to helping with immune regulation and providing us with nutrient density. And those are going to be foods like organ meats, shellfish, um, uh, uh, wild-caught fish, uh, grass-fed beef, bone broth, fermented foods, which I, I love the little primer that you started off with at the beginning of the, of the show. And it's, it's clear to see the nutrient benefits of those foods. And then there are foods that are highly inflammatory, like grains, dairy, and soy. And, and then what you're getting at is there's these kind of gray area foods like nightshades and nuts and seeds where it's not clear whether they have a health promoting effect or whether they are inflammatory to the system. So in those cases, we, we want to follow the protocol and, and do some reintroductions and see, but for instance, with nuts and seeds, we can usually introduce those foods a, a little sooner than some other foods on the list. Um, and as another example, uh, ghee is usually pretty well tolerated, even by some who have a dairy allergy, because um, for those of you who don't know, ghee is, um, is, is clarified grass-fed butter with the, with the milk proteins removed from it. So the, the casein and the whey, those are the, the quote-unquote problematic as, uh, compounds in the food that typically cause inflammation. So, uh, and with, you know, nightshades, for example, there are compounds called glucoalkaloids, which can be damaging to the gut lining, even though there are beneficial nutrients to that food with, with the autoimmune protocol, we're, we're specifically trying to kind of get to a baseline where we're not running any risk of introducing, uh, anything that might, uh, exacerbate that intestinal permeability even if there might be some nutrient benefits to that food, you know, we know that in the future that we might be able to reintroduce those even with some success. So you're healing the gut lining basically is what you're trying to accomplish. Exactly. Okay. And, and it's not just about the foods we're removing. 
it, I try to get my clients to focus on all these nutrient beneficial foods that are usually or, or are lacking in the standard American diet. And as mentioned, these are going to be things like organ meats and shellfish and, and wild caught fish, things that we aren't really eating a lot of, but have a tremendous benefit, uh, particularly for giving the immune system the building blocks it needs to function properly. So we have that leaky gut component, but we also have that component of autoimmunity where the immune system is dysregulated. So if we can give it the nutrients it needs to uh, properly promote a regulatory function, then it's going to increase our, increase our chances that the, the immune system is going to balance itself out. Now, the, the thing that jumps out right away is, can this be done by a vegetarian? From, from everything I've seen, now this is as, as a, a former vegetarian and vegan, um, I, you know, I, I went through um, nearly a, 10 years of experimenting with different diets and so, so firsthand, I, I just have to say that anecdotally, I experienced um, the most relief using the autoimmune protocol. And from a nutrient density standpoint, there are foods that are simply, simply uh, just nearly impossible to obtain from a, a vegan diet, especially the fat-soluble vitamins that are going to come from uh, pastured uh, fats, you know, like... Um, your omega-3 fatty acids from, from fish and from, from animal fats and um, your, your vitamin D and A, these fat-soluble vitamins. And, of course, there's issues with iron and B12 and um, nutrients like selenium are going to be high, harder to obtain in a, in a vegan diet. So you'd have to be doing quite a bit of supplementation along with the autoimmune protocol to, to get the benefits of it. You'd have to do quite a bit, and I have to say that you can't, un, you can't outsmart nature's packaging. I, I, I think that the best supplements that we can get are from food and from optimizing our digestion so that we're assimilating those nutrients properly. But, um, you know, I, of course I work with supplements, but I don't believe that they're a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can help us plug the holes where necessary, but um, in, in my opinion, I, I don't think that we're getting the kind of nutrient density that we need from a vegan diet. I agree. I agree. And unfortunately, Ryan, we're pushing right up against our clock here. And there's so many more questions I had to ask you. So, you know, perhaps you could come on another show and, and you know, give us some ideas. That uh, I don't think we dive deeply enough into the autoimmune protocol. with, And it does, and I might add, it has some very, very good data behind it. It has worked very well for many, many people. So, um if it's something that you might be interested in, you know, I, I do I do suggest that you take a look at it or contact Ryan. I mean, he's the expert on it. But I'm sorry to have to cut us off here because, like I said, there are just so many other questions I wanted to get at. But that's that's what uh, we're dealt with here an hour. So maybe, Ryan, you could give us a tip, um, something that you could help out or give to our listeners if they're suffering from some of these symptoms or where they should go next, something that, that's very beneficial for them. Yeah, sure. So first, I want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to be here to talk about thyroid and uh, autoimmunity today. And for for the listeners out there, you know, if you're experiencing depression, fatigue, weight gain, cold intolerance, these are some of the red flags of having a, a thyroid issue. 
So, you know, it, it's not all in your head. You know, I, we're told that so often by so many medical professionals. I would encourage you to be your own health advocate. Go out there, you know, work with someone who's going to be able to run a comprehensive thyroid test on you and, and help you to get to the root of the issue, get you on the right thyroid medication, get you on the right diet and lifestyle path. And, and uh, you know, just keep digging and keep looking for answers. Um, another tip real quick that I'd like to give is um, a supplement that I like to recommend to all of my, um, all of my clients who have thyroid issues uh, is uh, selenium. Um, of course, you know, I, I'm not a medical doctor, you know, consult your medical professional or doctor, but um, selenium has been shown in, in, in numerous studies to have a beneficial impact on lowering antibodies to the thyroid. So it's, it's really important to, to get some selenium. Uh, one of the best food sources of this is going to be from wild-caught salmon. So include some more salmon in your diet, uh, you know, preferably two or three servings a week. That'll give you more than enough selenium you'll need to help you uh, uh, with your thyroid health. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that, Ryan. If you want to contact Ryan or find out more about him, you can find him at www.themindfulnutrivore.com. You can also reach him at ryan at themindfulnutrivore.com. His, uh, I'll spell that out for you. It's the, T-H-E, mindful, M-I-N-D-F-U-L, Nutrivore, N-U-T-R-I-V-O-R-E.com. I'll put that up on the website if I've done that too quickly. Ryan, thank you so much, and we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.